Greetings, everybody. It's July 28th, and we are on an epic journey, taking in all 66 books of the Bible, reading it verse by verse, page by page, and giving you a concise summary of points you don't want to miss from our survey course. We are happy to have you with us, sharing the One-Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, where we read according to the One-Year Bible Reading Plan, with daily portions from the Old and New Testaments, and a daily dip into the meditative waters of the Book of Psalms and the treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. We know that our story is part of a larger story. This is why we read the Bible, to get the greater story in which we can find our story. History is really his story. He is the beginning and the end of it all. The central character in your autobiography is not you. It is Christ. We meet him either as Savior or as Judge. In the Old Testament, we are in the book of Second Chronicles. We're reading about the kings of Judah. All kings fall short of God's glory, save one, and that is the King of Kings, the Son of David, who is the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. Matthew describes Jesus as being born king in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Paul gives the benediction in 1 Timothy 1, 17, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. We read some dramatic episodes today which you may recall from reading in the book of 2 Kings. We read about the reigns of King Jehoram, King Ahaziah, and then the murderous reign of his mother, Athaliah, the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab of the northern kingdom, who became queen of Judah, the southern kingdom. She becomes the only female monarch to sit on David's throne and is not a descendant of David and is in every way a usurper. Then we will read about the providential circumstances that brought Joash, a true descendant of David, to the throne. So we start our reading in Second Chronicles chapter 21, and we will read through to the end of chapter 23. 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Jehoram his son reigned in his place. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, and Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver, gold, and valuable possessions, together with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram, because he was the firstborn. When Jehoram had ascended the throne of his father and was established, he killed all his brothers with the sword, and also some of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. In his days, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Jehoram passed over with his commanders and all his chariots, and he rose by night and struck the Edomites who had surrounded him and his chariot commanders. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. At that time Libna also revolted from his rule because he had forsaken the Lord, the God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the hill country of Judah, and led the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom, and made Judah go astray. And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord, 
the God of David your father, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat your father, or in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and have enticed Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom, as the house of Ahab led Israel into whoredom, and also you have killed your brothers of your father's house who were better than you, behold, the Lord will bring a great plague on your people, your children, your wives, and all your possessions, and you yourself will have a severe sickness with the disease of your bowels, until your bowels come out because of the disease day by day. And the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the anger of the Philistines and of the Arabians who are near the Ethiopians. And they came up against Judah and invaded it, and carried away all the possessions they found that belonged to the king's house, and also his sons and his wives, so that no son was left to him except Jehoahaz, his youngest son. And after all this, the Lord struck him in his bowels with an incurable disease. In the course of time, at the end of two years, his bowels came out because of the disease, and he died in great agony. His people made no fire in his honor like the flames made for his fathers. He was thirty-two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he departed with no one's regret. They buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Ahaziah reigns in Judah. Chapter 22 And the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place. For the band of men that came with the Arabians to the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. She also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father, they were his counselors to his undoing. He even followed their counsel and went with Jehoram the son of Ahab king of Israel to make war against Hazael king of Syria at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram, and he returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that he had received at Ramah when he fought against Hazael king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was wounded. But it was ordained by God that the downfall of Ahaziah should come about through his going to visit Joram. For when he came there, he went out with Jehoram to meet Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to destroy the house of Ahab. And when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he met the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers, who attended Ahaziah, and he killed them. He searched for Ahaziah, and he was captured while hiding in Samaria, and he was brought to Jehu and put to death. They buried him, for they said, He is the grandson of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all his heart. And the house of Ahaziah had no one able to rule the kingdom. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabeath, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were about to be put to death, and she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus Jehoshabeath, the daughter of king Jehoram, and the wife of Jehoiada the priest, because she was a sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah, 
so that she did not put him to death. And he remained with them six years, hidden in the house of God, while Athaliah reigned over the land. Chapter 23 Joash Made King But in the seventh year Jehoiada took courage and entered into covenant with the commanders of hundreds. Azariah the son of Jehoram, Ishmael the son of Jehohanan, Azariah the son of Obed, Maasiah the son of Adiah, and Elishaphat the son of Zikri. And they went about through Judah, and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah, and the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. And all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And Jehoiada said to them, Behold the king's son, let him reign, as the Lord spoke concerning the sons of David. This is the thing that you shall do. Of you priests and Levites who come off duty on the Sabbath, one-third shall be gatekeepers, and one-third shall be at the king's house, and one-third at the gate of the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. Let no one enter the house of the Lord except the priests and ministering Levites. They may enter, for they are holy, but all the people shall keep the charge of the Lord. The Levites shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand, and whoever enters the house shall be put to death. Be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. The Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. They each brought his men, who were to go off duty on the Sabbath, with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath. For Jehoiada the priest did not dismiss the divisions. And Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains the spears and the large and small shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of God. And he set all the people as a guard for the king, every man with his weapon in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house. Then they brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king, and Jehoiada and his sons anointed him. And they said, Long live the king. When Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets, and the singers with their musical instruments leading in the celebration. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! Then Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains who were set over the army, saying to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and anyone who follows her is to be put to death with a sword. For the priest said, Do not put her to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and she went into the entrance of the horse gate of the king's house, and they put her to death there. And Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and all the people and the king that they should be the Lord's people. Then all the people went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images they broke in pieces. And they killed Matan the priest of Baal before the altars. And Jehoiada posted watchmen for the house of the Lord under the direction of the Levitical priests and the Levites whom David had organized to be in charge of the house of the Lord to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing, according to the order of David. He stationed the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord, so that no one should enter who was in any way unclean. And he took captains, the nobles, the governors of the people, 
and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the upper gate to the king's house. And they set the king on the royal throne. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword. And this is the end of our Old Testament portion from the one-year Bible from the book of Second Chronicles. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. After Jehoshaphat's death, his eldest son, Jehoram, inherits Judah's throne. Despite being a descendant of the house of David, Jehoram proves that his allegiance is more towards the house of Ahab. Although he is king of Judah, he walks in the ways of the kings of Israel and adopts their idolatry. He turns his people's hearts away from the worship of the one true God with whom they were in a covenant relationship. He caused the nation to commit spiritual adultery. This is predominantly due to the influence of his wife, Athaliah, who was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. God sees Jehoram's prideful apostasy and chastises him for it. His jurisdiction over his kingdom would unravel as Edom and Libna would break away and form their own governments. The prophet Elijah calls out the sins of Jehoram. He is responsible for the murder of his brothers and the spiritual adultery of Judah. Elijah declares that the Lord will strike his people with a heavy blow with the attack of the Philistines and Arabs. His goods would be plundered and his family members taken away with the exception of his youngest son Ahaziah. He is also told that he would suffer and die from a painful disease of the intestinal tract. Elijah's prophecy comes true. After an eight-year reign, Jehoram dies of the predicted disease. In all his attempts to build a kingdom for himself, he dies with no honor and to no one's regret. In chapter 21, verse 20, he is buried in the city of David, but is not honored by being buried in the tomb of the house of David as a Davidic king. Ahaziah, the youngest son of Jehoram and Athaliah, is made king in Jehoram's place. He is 22 years old and only reigns for one year. He follows the counsel of advisors from the house of Ahab, including his mother, who was Ahab's daughter. He is advised to join Joram, the king of Israel, the son of Ahab, in a war against Hazael, king of Aram, at Ramoth-Gilead. Joram suffers a fatal wound in the battle at Ramoth-Gilead, just as his father Ahab had earlier. Ahaziah goes to meet the stricken Joram at Jezreel, where he had gone to recover. Jehu, who the Lord had anointed to execute judgment on the house of Ahab, kills Joram as well as the princes of Judah and some of Ahaziah's relatives. Ahaziah escapes to Samaria but is taken captive there and brought to Jehu to be put to death. There was no descendant of Ahaziah presumed strong enough to take the throne of Judah. Therefore, Athaliah, Ahaziah's mother, does a power grab, destroying all possible competitors among her relatives in the house of Judah. She usurps the throne, becoming the only female ruler in the history of the house of David. Jehoshaphat, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest in charge of the temple, hides Ahaziah's young child Joash in the temple, before anyone had a chance to kill him under Athaliah's orders. Athaliah reigns for six years, not knowing that her grandson, Joash, whom she presumed dead, remains hidden away in the temple by her deceased son's sister, Joshua. Joshua's husband, the priest Jehoiada, 
plots a strategic alliance with five commanders of military units, Levites, and heads of Israelite families from all the towns. Jehoiada deploys them to both defend all the federal buildings, that is the palace and the surrogate known as the foundation gate, and the temple from Athaliah's supporters. He also orders the Levites to protect and be ready to receive the rightful heir to the throne, the young king Joash, as he emerges from inside the temple of God where he has been hidden and raised. Jehoiada states his intention, Behold, the king's son shall reign, as the Lord has spoken concerning the sons of David. 2 Chronicles chapter 23, verse 3 God had promised that he would give a lamp to David and his sons. Jesus would be the fulfillment of this prophecy long after the Davidic kings no longer sat on the throne. Joash is crowned as king and given a copy of the law of God, the testimony as prescribed by the Torah, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 20. When Athaliah hears the crowds shouting, Long live the king! She enters the house of the Lord and sees the king standing by the pillar at the entrance of the temple. This is a prophetic picture of the coming son of David, who will reign forever. Athaliah sees him that she thought dead, standing alive and crowned, standing between the temple's pillar. Which pillar? Was it the pillar named Jachin, meaning he will establish, or was it the pillar named Boaz, meaning in him is strength? Either one is prophetically accurate. The forgotten son of David, the rightful heir to the throne, thought dead, is alive. The one who is the temple of God, he will establish his coronation, and in him is strength. The murderous mother, Athaliah, sees she has been dethroned and defeated. She cries, treason, treason. She is seized and taken out of the temple, lest it be defiled. She is executed at the entrance of the horse gate to the king's palace. Jehoiada the priest, the mediator, makes a covenant with the people that they would be the Lord's people. The pagan altars in the house of Baal is torn down, and Matan, the priest of Baal, is killed. He orders that the house of the Lord be supervised by the Levitical priests. This reform, according to that which is prescribed in the tabernacle of David, is a picture of the worship in spirit and in truth that Jesus prophesied in John chapter 4, verse 24, and foreshadows the kingdom of God. The king is brought down from the house of the Lord to rule upon the throne of David. Second Chronicles chapter 23, verse 20. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had put Athaliah to death with the sword. Second Chronicles chapter 23, verse 21. And now we move on to the New Testament portion of our Bible tour. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11, verses 13 through 36. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. 
They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. O oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory for ever. Amen. And this concludes today's portion from our reading from the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul has been describing how God has sovereignly used Israel's overall rejection of the Messiah to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Yet, God was not finished with Israel. The acceptance of the Messiah by Gentiles is designed redemptively to make Israel jealous for a personal relationship with God. This is the Apostles' hope. God has not rejected Israel, although by and large they have rejected Him. Prophecies in the Old Testament make it clear that Gentiles will share in the kingdom with Israel. Isaiah chapter 11 and 60. Jesus taught this in Luke chapter 22 verse 30, and it is also indicated in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapters 7 verse 4 and 21 verse 12, God promised that Gentiles would be saved. In Hosea chapter 2 verse 23, Hosea chapter 1 verse 10, Romans chapter 9, verse 25. Paul is convinced that God's promise for Israel will also be fulfilled. Paul uses an analogy where he equates God's promise given to Abraham, the promise of salvation through faith in Christ, as the root. The original branches represent those who put their faith in the promise, the sons of Abraham, believers of Israel. Where some of Israel did not believe, they are not true Israel and are represented as branches broken off. The Jews were privileged in being part of God's story of redemption, experiencing His deliverance, guidance, and revelation through the law of Moses. Therefore, they were part of the cultivated olive tree. Gentiles should be humbled that they, 
who are outside the covenant, and therefore branches from a wild olive tree, have been blessed with inclusion into the original olive tree. They have been grafted in to the promise given to Abraham. However, they should be warned by the example of Israel's sin and hardening of heart through unbelief, and not presume that they are immune to apostasy. They should consider that the kindness of the Lord is extending to them the offer of salvation, but they should also consider the severity of the Lord towards those who prove to be only superficially rooted and therefore are to be broken away. They should recognize God's kindness in welcoming Jews back into the fold, and they too should be kind in welcoming them. After all, they are the natural branches of a cultivated tree. Salvation is of the Jews. The gospel is to the Jew first. They were groomed with the promise, whereas the Gentiles are wild branches grafted into the promise. In both cases, both Jews and Gentiles are grafted into God's promise of salvation by grace. Paul reminds the Gentiles of the mystery of God's choice election to use Israel. God is making known to them His hidden wisdom. The hardening that has come upon Israel has meant the gospel going to the Gentiles. But ethnic Israel's hardening is partial and temporal until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. In chapter 11, verse 25, there is a coming day when all Israel will be saved. This does not mean that every Jew will trust Christ as Messiah, but it means that ethnic Israel as a whole, that is, by and large, will be saved. Romans chapter 11, verses 26 and 27, and Isaiah chapter 59, verse 20. In Zechariah 13:1 we read, In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. And in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, we read, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 20, we read, A Redeemer will come to Zion, and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. God still has a plan to use and bless ethnic Israel. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, referring to the privileges given to Israel in the history of redemption as previously described in Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. To whom, that is the Israelites, belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God-blessed forever. Amen. This chapter concludes with a doxology celebrating the sovereign mercy of God offered to Jews and Gentiles alike in salvation. Romans chapter 11, verses 33-36 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became His counselor? Or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. After that wonderful doxology of praise, let's move to the Bible's prayer praise and songbook, the book of Psalms, and we go to the prophetic Psalm 
22 today, beginning with verse 1. Why have you forsaken me? To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry by day, and you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried, and were rescued. In you they trusted, and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, and not a man, scorned by mankind, and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breaths. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Psalms 22-24 to 24 form a trilogy depicting the Messiah as our shepherd king. In Psalm 22, the shepherd king lays down his life for the sheep. In Psalm 23, we see how the shepherd king provides for his sheep. In Psalm 24, the great shepherd of the sheep returns to reign over his sheep and reward them. This psalm, Psalm 22, contains references to David's suffering. We do not know the circumstance, but in the description we see a prophetic picture of the suffering of Christ, the Son of David. The prayer of Christ on the cross is found in the first verse. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. Also in Matthew chapter 27, verse 26, and Mark chapter 15, verse 34. Jesus identifies with the sinner on the cross and senses what that separation feels like, although he and the Father are one in essence. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. The holiness of God demands that sin be punished. Jesus was willing to take that punishment our sin deserved on his own body. I am a worm and not a man. This is a picture of the humiliation of Christ. A worm is a creature of the ground. God created man to be more than a creature of the ground. He was created to be a co-regent with Christ, a heavenly man. But Jesus identifies with man in his fallen state on the cross, yet without sin. He who knew no sin became sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Verses 7 and 8 sound like eyewitnesses of the crucified Christ 1,000 years in the future. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord, 
Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. Verses 12 and 13 remind us of the demonic oppression that Jesus must have experienced. Verses 16 and 17 picture the human tormentors who mocked him. Verse 18 accurately predicts the activity of those Roman soldiers who gambled for Jesus' robe. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. Verses 22 through 31 contain magnificent declarations of faith in the repercussions of Christ's accomplishment in his atoning death. We experience his presence as our resurrected head who is not ashamed to call us his brothers. In verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Jesus said to Mary on that resurrection day, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. John chapter 20, verse 17. The psalm closes with the shepherd king experiencing the rewards of his suffering in verses 25 through 31. And we'll read more of that tomorrow. Now let's go to the Bible's treasure chest of wisdom as we draw from the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 7. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. What a blessing it is for children to have the example of godly parents. A believer who walks with the Lord in integrity will inspire his or her children to pursue the same kind of relationship. May we reproduce after his kind by nurturing the next generation with spiritual authenticity. Now let's conclude our time of reading the Bible with prayer. Father, thank you for your holy word. The record of earthly kings and their failures highlight the perfection of your anointed king, our shepherd king, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are humbled by his willingness to suffer the immeasurable wrath incurred by our sin on the cross. His confidence in your holiness and your righteousness inspires us to obedience and surrender. The fact that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be constituted as righteous in your sight, causes our hearts to tremble with reverential awe and that He would rise to be our representative interceding on our behalf, unashamed to call us His brothers and sisters, humbles us. We ask that You would help us to be conscious of His presence among us, especially when we gather as a congregation to offer praise to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us in our Bible tour today. We look forward to continuing tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. If you would like a written copy of our commentary on the daily portion, you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org, and you can also receive information there on the ministries of New Life Community Church. Well, until next time, God bless you. Shalom. Shalom.